We're going to talk about grace tonight. I th- guys, I had this plan that I was going to film a bunch of freshmen, or somebody was at freshman retreat, and ask them what grace was, and they'd be like, I don't know. But our freshmen are really smart here. And they all had these really good answers. And it took away my whole point. So new point. Um, I wonder if grace is something that we can talk about and we can define, but it's harder to accept. It's harder to live into. My fear with grace is that we're really good at pointing it out in other people. We're really good at, at giving it to other people, but we're really bad at accepting it for ourselves. And we sometimes live like it does not exist, even if we know what it is. I'm impressed with this group of college students. I'm impressed with how hard you guys work. I'm impressed with the drive and the desire to be excellent, to do something with purpose, and that matters in life. But sometimes I get nervous with the pressure that, we, that is put on you and the pressure that you put on yourself. I see it all the time. Even three weeks in, two weeks in, we're two weeks in to this quarter for a lot of us and already the pressure to perform, the pressure to succeed or to make something of ourselves. I can feel that weight of people in the room. I want you to give yourself a little grace. I want to come into this room and just relax. Just be present here tonight. I think God has something as we dive into what this could mean. And I don't want us to walk away tonight missing it. Just learning something about grace, but not realizing how we might step more into the grace that God has for us tonight. That would be my big hope. We get to continue our series Tonight, we're going to jump right into our text. It comes from uh, Mark chapter 1 tonight, and, and, and the series we're calling Unexpected, because I think that Jesus is showing up in our lives unexpected. He shows up in the book of Mark unexpectedly in ways that people did not think he would. What he does is much different than what people thought he would, and those that were looking for him only in the ways that they knew that they expected a Savior to come missed who he was. Last week, Thirk talked to us a little bit about uh, the calling of some of the first disciples and how they really viewed themselves as unworthy, and they saw the expectations that people put on them, and that almost made them not get on board with following Jesus, but they did. They did. Twelve of these guys did. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, they start following him. He starts performing miracles. He starts casting out demons. He starts gathering big crowds. All of a sudden, there's a lot of hype around Jesus. Everyone loves Jesus right now. And that takes us into our text tonight. And so we are going to jump in uh, to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. I know if you've been here the whole time, you're thinking, Mike, we're still in chapter 1. We're never going to get through this book, but hang on. There's something good for us here. Okay, here we go. Mark chapter 40, a man with leprosy came to him, him being Jesus, and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man has no name. We do not learn his name like some people in the Bible. We only learn of his issue. I wonder if sometimes we allow our issues to define who we are. It's so easy to over-identify either with our issues or with the things that we are good at that they can quickly become our identity. For a lot of us, the identity of this man is only a man with leprosy, with no name. Jesus was indignant. 
He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Leave it on this, this for one second. Some of you guys were paying attention when Sophia came up and read. Side note, it's her birthday tonight, 22 years old. You can wish her happy birthday later. But some of you picked this up if you were paying attention. When Sophia read this verse for us, it did not say this. It said that Jesus was filled with compassion. It's funny, I met with the in-speaking team this week, a group of students that, that we worked together looking at the text and thinking, what does this have for us? What does God have for us? And we had two different versions of the Bible in the room. Okay, and the way the Bible was translated, one of the versions said exactly this, that Jesus was indignant, that Jesus was filled with some sort of an anger. The other Bible said that Jesus was filled with compassion. We thought, what on earth could these two things have to do with each other? How could the original writing in Greek be translated both of these ways? To be indignant, to have kind of this deep anger does not seem to have anything to do with having compassion. We sat and we dug, and I'll be honest, I, we never came up with an answer, but they're both translated from this word originally that means deep from within, from the gut, from the place where we feel things the deepest. Could it be that Jesus looked out at this man and had compassion on his situation? Could it be that he was angry that, that, that this disease existed, that this man had to suffer? Could it be that he looked at the system that kept this man outside of the city walls and felt angry with it? Could it be that he tells the guy pretty soon not to tell anybody that he heals him and the guy tells people anyway? Not 100% sure, but I know that what we do know about Jesus is that he feels things deeply and can relate to where we're at in a very deep way. That's the Jesus I know. Let's keep reading. <clears throat> Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. This is the interesting part. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he did not do that like he was instructed to from Jesus. That's so funny, I think. Um, he went out and began to talk freely instead, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people, the people still came to him from everywhere. I've titled tonight's message, Contagiously Unashamed. Because here we have a man with leprosy who has a disease that is contagious and that there is no cure for. He has a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. He is transformed. And now he becomes contagious in the lack of shame in his life and his excitement to tell others what just happened. I wonder if we can experience the same thing when we come face to face with Jesus in our life. Now, leprosy was a highly contagious skin disease. Okay, in fact, people, um, it was very painful. Uh, a lot of sores, a lot of open uh, wounds, a lot, of, a lot of just very, very painful. And I have never had leprosy, so I do not want to compare anything I've had to leprosy and put down anyone that may have had it. But I did get a skin disease this summer. 
okay? You're not gonna believe this. I got hand, foot, and mouth disease this summer, okay? And you'll find this funny if you know this fact. Hand, foot, and mouth disease is almost exclusively found in children. Babies, babies, thank you. Not even children, okay? In fact, I got it. I had the spots all over my hands, all over my feet, and grossest part, inside of my mouth. It was the most incredibly painful thing. I actually have some pictures I will show you. I told some people I was gonna show it tonight, and some people said, do not show that. It is too gross. People will throw up. My mouth was filled with sores inside. I could not eat. Okay, it was so painful. I'd have tried to drink a smoothie and it would hurt the entire way. I would start crying as I ate because of the physical pain. I went online to look at what I could do about it and everything online says, your kid may not want to eat. Your kid may have trouble swallowing. Your kid may lose their appetite. Nothing ever said you will lose your appetite. I thought, how did I get a disease for children? I do not know. I went to the hospital, because my wife said go to the hospital. I went, they told me, yes, you do have hand, foot, and mouth disease. Hopefully you get better. And that was all, and that's why I don't like going to hospitals, because they did not help. They just told me what my disease was. That's a side note. Okay, anyways, part of this, this was July. And in July, the weather was nice, and it wasn't smoky yet, so I was all excited. And we had a vacation planned with five other couples that we were really excited about going to Priest Lake, Idaho with, okay? We have Idaho people in the room? Priest Lake people, maybe Spokane people, they just vacation there, I'm not sure. Anyways, I was really excited to go. We had this vacation planned and guess what? We tell them, hey, Mike has this disease, but don't worry. Well, some people worried. In fact, two of the couples in our group have small children, babies. When we told them this, they said, Mike, we love you, but we don't want you to come out here. Um, it's really painful if the kids get it and it's highly contagious. If you even get close to them, they're going to get it. It's, on, it's gonna be best if you stay at home. They were probably more compassionate than that, but they were serious. I was not getting around their kids. And I made up lots of excuses and said, uh, look, I will be very clean the whole time, but they still said it's not, um, it's not gonna work out. And they were there for a week and we ended up having to wait um, a few extra days and then it started to go away and then, um, we went for a couple days at the end. I actually have a picture of me. I showed up and I was, there was kind of tension. So I put on a, I put on, um, it's not a hazmat suit. Hazmat suits for like $500. I was gonna buy one as a joke, but it wasn't worth it. This is just a painting suit I put on um, when I showed up because there was real tension in our group. There was real tension in this group of people. Now they were really nice and we, we worked things out. But guys, I felt really hurt by this. And, and not because they were mean or because they were doing something that they shouldn't have, but the feeling of being told that we don't want you around, even knowing that it's because your disease was very, very hard for me to handle. That's why I showed up anyway. <laughs> no one tells Mike not to show up. Okay, um, that was wrong. I can only imagine what this man was going through. Leprosy was a hard disease. Not only was there a lot of physical pain, but Levitical law said at the time that if you had leprosy, you could not come into the city. You had to stay outside of the city walls. You had to stay 50 paces away from anybody. Okay, that's half a football field. That is the distance from that wall to that wall and back. That's as close as you can get to any other people. 
If you even try to get closer than that, you have to yell unclean a whole bunch. You could be killed if you tried to get close to people because of how contagious you were. Even when a priest or a rabbi went out to heal you, they had to still stay six feet away from you and try to heal you from that distance just so they wouldn't get what you had. The physical pain of leprosy was probably nothing compared to the emotional toll that it would play on you not feeling connected with anyone. Even when he came to church, when he came to the synagogue, he had to stay behind a screen so that people wouldn't contract what he had. He could, he could be there, he could kind of be there, but not fully. He could listen, he could be in the back behind a screen, but he couldn't fully engage with what was happening. The screen was set up to protect him, but I gotta think it just isolated him even more expose some of the insecurities and loneliness even more. We will not do that to you here. We will not try to shame anyone. This was not shaming. We put up screen like this one. We put up this screen here, okay? And that is not to shame anyone. That is actually to protect you, if you did not know. This is so when you walk in late, you feel no shame. You can walk right around. It's so that if you wanna get up in the middle and leave, you can. It's so that if you get offended by anything I say, you can get up and leave and people won't have to watch you because you won't feel like you're being watched. In fact, bring that screen. Alex, are you around there? Bring that screen out here further. Third always shows up. Thank you. But bring that screen out here. Chris Third and everybody. Man, you do everything around here, man. Let's look at this, okay? Um, it was a screen like this. Imagine being in church or being here and being told that, hey, you are going to hang out behind this screen. I'm sorry there's people on the end. Imagine being told, hey, you can be in here, but, but you have to be behind a screen. You can be close to people, but you can't fully interact with all of them. And most of us are probably not gonna live in a lot of situations where we're told we need to be behind a screen. But tonight what I wanna talk about is I wonder if we can come to a place like this and still live our lives behind a screen of protection. I wonder if we can be around a bunch of people, but still try to keep ourselves from being hurt by putting up a screen in our life. I think we probably do this in two big ways. The first I think is with God. For some of us, I think when we come into a place like this, we think, hey, I need something to keep me safe. Something that was intended to protect me and keep me safe all of a sudden keeps me from engaging God fully. I'll tell you a screen that we see a lot that people put up to protect themselves. And that's when we start to have doubts. Guys, we all have a lot of doubts. I had a student come up to me after uh, the end two weeks ago and, and, and say, man, what is it like? What, what do you experience because you, when you don't have to doubt anything? I said, look, I know I come up here and, and talk and act like I got it all together, but I have a lot of doubts. Okay, I have a lot of doubts. When I read the Bible and there's some things in there, I go, I do, I do not understand this. And when I look out at the world and I see the pain and the brokenness of the world around, I go, where's God in some of these situations? How could a good God allow so many things to happen, people to be oppressed and people to feel so much pain? And when I look within, sometimes I think, how could, I, how could God allow me to experience pain and brokenness? Guys, I have a lot of doubts. Doubts are okay. 
Doubts make us human. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is a man that comes up to Jesus and says, uh, Jesus says to him, hey, I want you to believe in me. And the man says, I do believe. He says, help me in my unbelief. You can believe and also have unbelief at the same time that we can believe in something and also have a lot of doubt. That is okay. That shouldn't stop us from coming in and learning and being in community and being around other people. The second thing I see that we do all the time is we may even come to a place like this. Okay, Jesus, I want to engage with you, but I'm nervous about other people seeing me as I really am. And so I'm going to come in here and I'm going to try to connect, but I also am going to leave this thing up around me so that nobody really sees me and rejects me. Because if people really knew me, they would not want to be around me. I think sometimes we let the fear of rejection allow us to feel really alone. It's safer to be that way than to let people really know who I am. That's vulnerable. I know none of us like loneliness. It's not something we like to talk about. Some of us, we go, okay, I came into college and I'm not gonna be lonely, so I'm gonna get myself involved in everything. Is that you right now? Have you overcommitted two weeks into college? You can nod along, it's fine. I know, I talk to a lot of you guys. It's so busy, man. We wear busyness like a badge of courage. Man, we get involved, it's hard to say no, so we say yes to everything or that fear. I know I feel that. Man, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to experience loneliness, so I need to get involved in a lot of things. I need to start doing a lot of things. The hard lesson I think some of us are learning and experiencing right now is that, is that busyness does not solve our loneliness. Just getting busy with a lot of things does not actually give us what we're looking for inside doesn't give us a peace that we're looking for. I can do a ton of things. I can come to a place like this. I can be involved in 10 things and I can still live my life behind a screen as I do the same thing. Acting like I got it all together and not really ever letting somebody know what's going on in my life. Guys, this is my whole story. This is why I'm here. Is because my, halfway through my college experience, I had a lot of stuff. People would have looked at me and thought, man, this guy's got it. He's got life figured out. Man, I was playing football here. I started playing in games my junior year. I never thought I would play in games. I'm a six foot white guy that's not that athletic. <laughs> also, the team was not that good. And a lot of guys, so I just somehow got in. Not now, I'd be like eighth string on our current team, man. Um, but people looked at me from the outside. My parents got super excited. My grandparents, all my family would come to games. People in the fraternity just loved it. I was dating a girl. Other people thought, oh, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, I got a relationship now. And, and people seemed to think highly of me. And, and, and I thought, oh, I got it all together. Got a lot of stuff going on. But man, when I would go home at night, turn off the lights, the music would stop. I just felt so lonely. I felt like nobody knows who I am. I don't even know who I am been acting like I got it all together. Oh, this is the easiest place to act like we got it all together. 
I remember my junior year, a friend kept inviting me to come out to the inn, and uh, I finally went. Not that the inn has like, got it all figured out. That's not the message here. Oh, the message is, if you're a friend that keeps inviting somebody and they've told you no a lot, keep going. <laughs> Be courageous. I'm, that we need people like you because I am so, I thank the Lord that somebody did not give up on me. Man, I said no a lot before I showed up. But eventually I did, and it was because of a place of desperation in my life. Because I really had nothing else, because I felt so empty. I said, God, I'm actually in desperation. I felt more like the leper at that point than ever before, willing to take the giant risk of 50 steps, 50 paces away, because I was starting to experience something, and that was the desperation. That's when I signed up. That's when I, when I came out here for the first time and, and, uh, and took a risk on allowing myself to be known. I remember signing up for the Dominican Republic spring break trip. Um, it was the first year they did it. First year, 2004. We still do it today. We'll be going this spring break. So sign up in like 12 weeks or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I remember going on that trip and thinking, God, I know if people, if people really get to know me, they will not like what they see. I remember making a deal with God. I walked into a room with 65 people. I didn't know any of them. I said, all right, my whole identity is in playing football. I'm not gonna tell anybody that. I'm just gonna be really honest about some of my insecurities, about some of the brokenness, about the things I feel, about how I try to numb myself. I probably drink too much right now and it's not just because it's fun to go out. Probably it's because there are things that I wrestle with inside that I can't be alone. That's not the kind of stuff you start a friendship with. We'll never ask that opener question here at the end. I wanna be the guy that shares too much, but I did say, okay, I'll be real. I'll be honest with who I am. I'll let people in. I don't know what it's gonna do, but all of a sudden, allowing people in. I came back from that, joined a core group. We actually formed a core group uh, almost the end of my junior year. It's never too late, even if you're a senior. You can still sign up in the back. Shameless plug. Um, thought, God, if people really get to know me, if they see what's underneath, they won't like me. But I showed up and I tried and I got really scared and vulnerable and then I got my screen back up because I didn't want to get hurt. The screen can feel really comfortable after a while. Not this one, but a different screen maybe. <laughs> can feel really comfortable. But at a place of desperation, I believe the same place that this guy was at. I gotta think that, that those, were, those were 50 really hard steps to take out of desperation. God, I don't know who you are exactly, but I've heard that you've been healing people and maybe if you did it for them, you can do it for me. I've heard that you're bringing life to dead places. See, for this guy, eventually the risk of real relationship outweighed the painful, lonely death that he was experiencing. Sure, he had to think, man, get this screen out of here. I'm tired of this. I'm really tired of this screen and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Even though the safety is gone, we can take this off. This is the perfect time. I don't want this screen. Get out of here. <laughs> Actually, never mind. When the screen goes, it gets lonely. Take it. But there's a vulnerable piece all of a sudden. I was able to protect myself from some people over here. Now it's gone. It's hard to be vulnerable. but this man does. 
because a lifetime is a long time to sit in isolation. So he comes face to face with Jesus. Face to face with Jesus. And everyone's watching. This guy walks, I'm sure as he's walking these 50 steps, people are watching him come this way. All the disciples were with Jesus. They should have stopped this man from getting there. But yet he walks up to Jesus and he says, put that text back, that was a, put that text back up there. I didn't memorize it. Don't, don't expose me. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand. He touched the man. He said, I am willing. Be clean. People were probably thinking, his disciples were probably thinking, Jesus, don't do it. Don't do it. You'll ruin your reputation. We all have this on the line. Once you do this, you're going to touch him. You're going to become unclean. All of us will be unclean. We will now no longer be allowed in. This is not worth it. Jesus had a choice. What was gonna to happen to his reputation? He took a huge risk. He didn't just heal this man from a distance like he could have done, but he touches the man. Because he knew that the man didn't just need to be healed, but that he needed to know that he was worthy of being touched. That's the risk that Jesus took. Relationship is a risk, it's a huge risk. Intimacy, vulnerability is a huge risk. But it's a risk we can take. It's a risk I hope we take this year because Jesus first takes that risk on us. Okay, and he doesn't just risk it by giving salvation to us. Okay, go to that second piece of text. This is so important. Don't miss this part. This is a picture of grace. You ready for what grace looks like lived out? Jesus shows us in this picture. He could have healed the man from the distance and walked away. Said salvation has been brought to you today, but he does something greater. Oh man, this is crazy. He touches him, he heals him. And as a result, pick this up, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Jesus does more for this man than heals him. He takes his place. Jesus does more than heal us. He takes our place. That's grace. 